Hi, I'm Marshall Ramsey. For years, I've drawn the most interesting people in Mississippi. Now, I get to interview them, too. Welcome to Conversations Podcast, where I sit down with the famous and folks who should be famous, and we just talk. Sometimes there's a fine line between truth and fiction. Today's guest has discovered that magical line in her exceptional and profound storytelling. Jasmine Ward is a celebrated novelist from South Mississippi who's garnered a long list of accolades and awards, not the least of which are not one, but two National Book Awards. Chesman, it's an honor to have you here on the set today. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. You've got to be one of the busiest people on the planet right now. Oh, well, no, okay. I had a little summer break, which was nice. But really? Yes, last they don't make you teach a summer busy. class? No, no, no summer classes. Oh, that's no. awesome. <laughs> I know. I asked you a little bit earlier. When's class starting? You said September. Wait, no, yeah, August. No. Yeah, I was a little confused. Yeah. Oh, it's so good to have you. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. I, I was joking on the way in. Do you ever just wake up in the middle of the night and pinch yourself and go? I I actually, I, and I, I tell this story often, so I'm sorry if you've already heard this, but yeah. I I try to actually forget about all the amazing yeah. things that have happened to me because if I constantly thinking, think about them, then I can't work. Yeah. Um, so I actually take all of my awards and I just sort of, I bring them to my mom's house. So... I do less pinching than you think, I guess. But I mean, it makes all the sense in the world because I, I can't imagine you writing a novel about a successful author who drives around in a Mercedes. Yes. Yeah. And now <laughs> exactly. you gotta get a Mercedes, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I know it's good. I watched you recently, you were on Seth Meyers on, on that, and that had to be a lot of fun to do that. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Ner nerve wracking, but imagine. also a lot of fun. I could imagine. You said they made you walk in. Yes, and I thought I will be the first author or the first person, first guest period who will fall on their way to the chair. Yeah, afterwards so. they're like, you know, she was really a great guest, <laughs> but boy, she's clumsy. We yeah. can't have her back. Yeah, exactly. So, number one, um, your writing is absolutely beautiful. I, I was telling uh, one of my bosses earlier, she does similes well. But but it's just, there's a lyrical quality to it that's just happening. And, and I love, because you're, you're having the characters talking, they're narrating in a lyrical tone, mm -hmm. but then they whip into dialogue mm -hmm. when they're talking to each other. That is so, That was so wonderful. Is that something that you thought of just right from the get-go, or did it just happen? Um, and this isn't saying Unburied Sing. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Par part of what drew me to literature when I was younger, when yeah. I, you know, because I fell in love with reading before I ever became a writer yeah. or tried to become a writer. And so part of what drew me to reading was was the beauty of language, right? right? And like witnessing what language mm -hmm. could do when you immersed yourself in a story, yeah. right? And how it could make this entire sensory experience like very real. Very real. Right? And, and, and so because that's what drew me to reading and to literature, I've always wanted to write that way, yeah. right? To like stretch the boundaries of language and, you know, use simile and use metaphor mm -hmm. and use... Um, you know, surprise, surprising imagery, I think. So, so yeah, so it's something that I've worked on for a very long time, but I have, but so, and it's also nice to get the kind of feedback that you're giving me yeah. because for years, you know, in writing workshops. Well, it's such a solitary world. That, yeah, it, yeah, but that wasn't the feedback that I was getting. Really? You know, yeah. What were you getting? Well, I think that the, that the, I think that right now, I mean, maybe it's changing a bit, mm -hmm. but especially when I was like, you know, sort of under, like training to become the writer that I am, yeah. right? And in writing programs, the, um, the trend was like writing very spare 
yeah. clean prose. And that's not what I was doing. And then I also got some sort of um, resistance from people who would say, well, these people are very uneducated. So why, you know, if they're speaking in the first person, right, right like why are they using this, you know, fancy, you know, lyrical language? But for me, it allowed me to see the beauty of their souls. Uh-huh. Okay. You know, it was more than just because I think sometimes you do that. You mm-hmm. see somebody, oh, I see somebody in overhauls. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not going to talk to them, mm-hmm. but you, you miss out on their, mm-hmm. their true character. I mean, and that's that's what I think, and that's how I yeah. would sort of like push back against that resistance because I feel like people have really complicated inner lives, yeah. you know, and I'm just doing, um, you know, a sort of approximation, right, right. Of, of how people see the world and process the world and make connections right mm-hmm. when they're moving through the world and right. so i don't know i think that that um that that kind of lyrical language barely sort of brushes up against like revealing how complicated people's inner lives can really be it was fun to research your life a little bit and then to read one of your books mm-hmm. because you can see little bits and pieces like mark twain said right about what you know mm-hmm. But it was, you know, I mean, you tragically lost a brother. Mm-hmm. And then you have Given, who was, you know, tragically mm-hmm. was taken at a young age. And mm-hmm. so, you know, it made my heart hurt that much more seeing mm-hmm. that in there. That that, But that helps you be real, doesn't it? It does. I mean, I think that, you know, that writers, you know, that we're channeling all of our life experience, yeah. you know, into our characters. Um, and I'm, I don't necessarily write characters who... Um, you know, who have, a, who have a real sort of counterpart in my right. world, right? So none of my characters are like thinly veiled versions of me or of people that right. I know. But, but I do think that we use, you know, bits and pieces of, you know, things that we've encountered in order to, I, I think, infuse our characters with humanity, right? right? And some like texture and to make them complicated. So... Um, so yeah, I was actually hesitant about doing that when I when I began writing really? Leone's character. Yeah, yeah, because I didn't want because some readers know that I've lost right. a brother, and so I didn't want my readers to confuse my experience and my grief with Leone's experience right. and her grief. But as I you know continued um, to write the novel and got further into the novel and really developed Leone as a character. Her grief and her loss took on a life of its own. Right. She, it, it became a real thing for her. But one of the things, I, I mean, so many of the characters had had their moments, their moments of grief. And I think anybody who has, has experienced extreme grief or has been through counseling mm-hmm. will understand a little bit more why the characters are where they are now. Mm-hmm. So when you get the argument, well, we don't need to, to focus on the past, we mm-hmm. need to focus on the present, doesn't mm-hmm. make a bit of sense yeah. because really the events of the past are like literally throwing a pebble into a lake. Yeah. You know, the ripples are affecting all the characters. Exactly, exactly. So. In so many different yeah. ways, right? I mean, all the characters are sort of struggling with different losses right. and trying to figure out how to live with those losses. I think when that's one of the things um, that makes Leone such a tragic character yeah. for me um, because she can't, because she can't, because she won't sit with the loss of her brother, right. right? Because she won't process it, because she won't sort of face it and feel it. She stunts herself in some ways, mm-hmm. you know? Like she, um, it makes her blind in some ways. And it, I think, traps her, traps her in that, 
in that past moment, right, in some ways. So when she's emotionally to where she's like yelling, but nobody can hear her, yeah. almost like when JoJo, when mm -hmm. she's trying to reach out to JoJo. Yeah. But I think there was a very powerful uh, part in there when JoJo's talking about how she brought home the fish. Yeah. And everything that she touches dies. Yeah. And that's yeah. like, oh, okay. Yeah. You do that well, by the way. <laughs> yeah. You got the metaphor thing down. That's Thank you. <laughs> One more, one more point on the book, and, mm -hmm. and I think what makes it so powerful for for me, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, obviously, I grew up in mm -hmm. a different world, mm -hmm. and when I'm reading about the journey from the coast to parchment, mm -hmm. well, God, I've driven 49, four million times. Yeah. I can tell you how many stoplights yeah. are on 49, <laughs> I, and there's probably two more since we started this yeah, conversation. Probably. There's a sign in Mendenhall mm -hmm. that says, the, like, the world's prettiest courthouse. Mm -hmm. I can tell you exactly where that thing is, yeah. and I've thought every time I've driven past it. Yeah, it's a pretty courthouse. Yeah. But Misty had the same kind mm -hmm. of opinion, too. Mm -hmm. But he, she was set straight. Yeah. You know what? When your brother is murdered mm -hmm. and there's no justice, yeah. when you're, you know, your friends can end up in parchment, yeah. it's not the world's prettiest. No, it's That was not. powerful. Yeah, thank you. So. I mean, yeah, I, I, um, I you know, I've, I can't tell you how many stoplights there are. Yeah. Um, I just drove that route today, but I, I've driven it a lot. And mm -hmm. so I, I, um, I don't know I feel like, again, that's an, another one of those moments where a character is perhaps, um, channeling a little bit, you know, like perhaps one of my yeah. observations, um, just because I've had some of those same thoughts while I've, yeah, driven very powerful and i liked how you make par you made parchment into a character yeah and i love hearing national interviewers ask you about parchment you yeah. know it's like this some exotic place it's like no 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 it, you know what the strangest thing about writing about parchment and like talking about it you know to yeah. to not only um you know journalists in, you know, in the united states but also all abroad yeah, yeah abroad journalists abroad is that so many of them so shocking to me to discover that so many of them didn't know that it was a real place. Really? Like they assumed, I mean, there's so many people that I've spoken to who said, I didn't know that Parchman was yeah. real. Like I thought that this was a made up place, that you were just inventing this. Um, and that was, it's, it's surprising to me every time I encounter that. And I guess it shouldn't be because, you know, I mean, I know some Mississippi history, but that's because I'm from right. Mississippi. Right. Mississippi. I took Mississippi history when I was in seventh, eighth grade. But I don't know. I guess be I guess it's surprising to me because I grew up with the fact of parchment. Right. You know, with like the almost the hanging legend over your of par head. Yeah, yeah parchment. Yeah. You know, yeah. I knew about it when I was a kid, right. and I knew that it was a place that I never wanted to end up. Right. But that there was a real danger that not only I could end up there one day, but that all the people that I, you know, so many people that I love right. could end up there. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. It's, 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 it's very strange every time I encounter someone who doesn't realize that parchment um, is real. And <laughs> is, here, here I might be sort of um, disappointing some people, but I've actually never been to parchment. You've never been there. No. You might just be getting an invite I after know, this interview. I know. I did a lot of, like, reading. Yeah. You know, I did a lot of research, but I've actually I've never been to parchment. You wrote a very powerful essay about moving back to Mississippi. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was powerful. And it was, frankly, it was medicine that a lot of people needed mm -hmm. to read, including myself. Mm -hmm. I moved here from San Diego. I'm from Atlanta originally, mm -hmm. so I'm from the South, so mm -hmm. it's not like I'm in a, a foreign planet. Mm -hmm. But it... You know, about halfway here mm -hmm. in the car, my wife and I just kind of looked at each other. Are we doing the right thing? Yeah. What is it about Mississippi, though, that draws that drew you back? And and I, and I kind of get it because mm -hmm. I mean, I draw cartoons. This yeah. is a good place to be a cartoonist. Yes. But 
What is it about this place that makes for good storytellers? I think that we, you know, we, um, this is a place that has a long tortured history, yeah. I think, um, with sort of, with various kinds of, um, you know, of, of racial inequality yeah. and of socioeconomic inequality. And um, unfortunately, I think that that history casts long shadows mm-hmm. and we, and in some respects, you know, like Faulkner said, like we can't really even say that it's the past because right. we're living with, um, you know, with the sort of, re- the, with the reality of that history. You touch today. on that really well in the book too. Yeah, and, yeah. So, and so I think, and it's one of the, it's one of, that's one of the concerns that I think I continue to struggle with in all of my fiction, right? Yeah. Like I'm writing about how, how history bears in the present and how history sort of lives in the present and affects the present. And so I think that in a place like that, you know that, um, you know that 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 kind of place creates artists. You yes. know, and, and it fosters. I think it creates people. It fosters people who, um, you know, who see stories in everything. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think, in some way, all of us. You know, when I think about the literary history of Mississippi and Mississippi writers, like we're all wrestling with with the shadows of our stories right, right. With the shadows of, of that history right that's bearing on the present my, um, my, my take on it somebody asked me about it once and I just mm-hmm. said you know oysters make beautiful pearls out of out of irritants mm-hmm. and that's kind of what we do here yeah definitely we do that pretty well yeah you you had said I've read before that when you're writing a book mm-hmm. you kind of went before you get done with it you pretty much know what you're going to do in your mm-hmm. next book you don't know that right now, though, do you? No, yeah, for the no first pressure. time. I don't, yeah. <laughs> I don't know it. Um, and I don't know it because I'm actually working on two books at the same oh, time. Oh, no pressure there. Yeah, no, yeah. none at all. Um, I'm writing a YA and middle grade book at the cool. same time that I'm working yeah. on my next um, adult novel. So I'm hoping to stumble upon my next novel idea sometime during the next five years, but we'll see. So I have a, I have a little time because it, both books are due in five years, I think. Oh, in five years? Mm-hmm. Oh, no pressure there. No, none at all. <laughs> How long does it take you to write a book? Well, it takes me probably a year and a half year to and write half. Yeah. a rough draft. Right. But then, you know, I... Then the I, fun begins. Yeah, then the revision fun begins, you know, and it takes me three years, three, you know, at the least it takes me three years after I write wow. a rough draft. To revise, but that's because before I even show it to my peers, right? Mm-hmm. So writers who I've you know studied and, and worked with, um, I go back and look through the manuscript and I try to identify the things that I need to work right. on and that I need to revise. And so, you know, that will take like ten revisions, right? And then I'll finally show it to my peers, yeah. they'll read it, they'll give me feedback, and then I incorporate their feedback into, I don't know, say anywhere from five or six revisions. And so only after I do that many revisions do I then send it on right. to my editor. And then some more revisions. Yeah, and yes. more revisions, yeah. Then, yeah. then the red marks come. Yes, uh, yeah. yes. And nothing that humbles you quite like no, that. Oh, no, not at all. <laughs> oh, who cares if you won two National Book Awards? Exactly. You still can be... <laughs> Chopped up. Exactly. And I'm almost hesitant to ask you this because it may be something you don't want to reveal, but who are some of the people that you would share it with? 
I mean, here's some of your that appears that you feel like are, are mentors or helpful or good friends. Mm, um, some, most of them, well, some of them, I would say most of them actually haven't been published yet, really? or they've been. Well, some of them have, but yeah. I feel like a lot of them haven't. So, um, so say my friend Justin Saint Germain, he mm -hmm. wrote an amazing memoir called Son of a Gun. Like he's one of my friends. I send my work to. I have another friend, Sarah Frisch. Mm -hmm. um, she just finished a draft of her debut novel, yeah. so hopefully we'll be seeing that in a couple of years. I have another friend, Amy Keller, who lived for a long time. She's a New Yorker, but she lived for a long time in New Orleans, mm -hmm. and she left New Orleans. You know, she fled New Orleans. During Katrina. Yeah, during yeah. Katrina. And so I know that she's working on stuff, so hopefully we'll see work from her in a couple of years. So those are just just a few of my friends. Another friend, um, Stephanie Swallow, um, she's from Louisiana, mm -hmm. actually. Oh. Um, and she uh, hopefully will be coming out with a book of stories sometime soon. So... Yeah, those are just some of Isn't it the, wonderful, though, to have seen. people like that that yeah. know exactly what you're going through yes. and kind of understand where you're coming from? Yep. Yeah, exactly. That's huge. I, I, yeah. There's like two or three cartoonists I know that, that I talk every once in a while, yeah. you know, because you can complain, oh, editors are yeah. the devil, you know. <laughs> but I mean, nobody else understands. I'm going to read a list to you here. Okay. Um, Saul Bellow, John Cheever, William Faulkner, William Gaddis, uh, Bernard Malumad, Wright Morris, Philip Roth, John Updike. And Jasmine Ward. Does that put any pressure on you there? I mean, <laughs> those are all people that have won more than one National Book Award for fiction. Wow. Yes. That is incredible. It's an incredible company. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes, it does. Um, but I think. But I think in a good way too. Yes. I mean, you should. You're like, you know what? I can be myself now from here on out because <laughs> by God, I've done everything. <laughs> Perhaps. I don't yeah. know. It's um, but it's definitely. I have to forget about everything that I've done yeah. when I sit down in front yeah, of the like, computer right. to create. Yeah. Because if I remember it, then that pressure right. to, you know, to um, to uh, excel and to you know win perhaps a third national book award. Oh, like yeah, that's no, too much, yeah. right? I can't. I, nothing will get done. You know, I will write nothing. Um, and then so. you come up to Tom Hanks. Well, you only won two Oscars. <laughs> I've won three book awards right here. I'll sign your autograph book there, Mr. Hanks. You can play me in the movie. That'd be great. I, I think it's the, the, at the course at the Mississippi Book Festival, which I am a big fan of, mm -hmm. and, and I'm glad you're, you got to go to it because mm -hmm. they unveiled two markers. One of them was Eudora Welty, and one of them was you. Yeah. I think that was a pretty good choice. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, it just, it makes me speechless. I don't know what to say about it i'm just you know well, somebody likes you around so here. i know yeah. someone does yeah. it's all sally field thing yeah. they like me <laughs> so you, you really had like to give me. a speech that could be your speech i i yeah i know i need to just um you know plagiarize yeah that'll get you far <laughs> do that worked well for melly finelli too yeah. so i highly yeah. recommend plagiarism and, and lip syncing yeah. it's great yeah. hurricane katrina obviously and you've you've written about it so powerfully, but it was a powerful experience for you mm -hmm. and your family. Mm -hmm. um, you discovered real quickly that some human beings can be very inhumane. Yes. Because y'all were trapped. You were trapped. We were. Yeah. And, yeah. and the family would not come to your aid. No. We were, because my grandmother's house flooded so quickly and yeah. it had never flooded before. And so we 
we actually went out into the storm, oh you know, as the storm was raging. Yeah. Because my grandmother has a one-story house, and we didn't want to crawl into the attic and perhaps drown, drown in the attic. Yeah. So we left. We swam out into the storm. Mm-hmm. We all piled into our remaining cars, you know, because some of our cars had been like swept a bit away by the storm surge. Yeah. We sort of climbed into the cars that had not been swept away, and we were trying to make it to our local Catholic church because my grandmother had keys to the to the yeah. hall at the Catholic church, mm-hmm. and. But we couldn't, right? Because yeah. because of the storm surge, because of down power lines and down right. trees, and so we pulled into a neighbor's um, sort of field, right, mm. and where they'd parked all of their, um, you know, like tractors yeah. and trucks and work equipment, and we were just sitting there in, the, in our trucks, like out in the storm, and then the neighbors came out to check on their vehicles, and they saw us in our cars, and they came up to the windows and they were like in the truck that i was in there were six of us piled into this truck um and two of those people are my elderly grandparents and a third person was my sister who was visibly pregnant at that time so not really shady looking folks no No. not Mm -hmm. at all and they said oh are y'all okay and i don't i don't even think we said anything back um because who's okay sitting in a yeah you're in shock in a truck in a category five hurricane um and then they said well you can't we don't have any room for you inside the house. You can't come inside the house. But you can stay out here in this field until the storm passes. And then they left. And then they went back inside their house. How generous. And we sat out yeah. in the field. Um, so, yeah, that was, I don't know. That, that was, um, I, I still don't think that I've fully processed that right. experience. Because I just, I can't imagine seeing a group of people who are in danger, right. knowing that I and can turning their backs help on them. them. Yeah, yeah, and then turning my back on them. So did you all end up staying there the whole storm? Or did you finally find somebody that actually had a heart? Well, we stayed there until the storm surge began to recede a bit. Yeah. And we saw that we could go a bit, fu- like the road cleared, basically. Gotcha. And we could go a bit further. So we pulled um, onto the onto the road, and we made it down to the intersection where DeLille Elementary is, yeah. which is like the main intersection in DeLille. And there's a house um, located very close to that intersection. And that house um, was actually, the people who lived in that house were, were just like welcoming anyone, you know, who was like fleeing the storm surge. Yeah. They're welcoming those people in. And they were actually going out in this like small boat with a motor on the back during the storm and going to the houses that were located closer to the yeah. bayou. And those houses had been completely submerged by water. And so right. they were going to those houses, basically rescuing people oh, who were wow. clinging to trees, yeah. who were you know on their rooftops, and they were rescuing them and like bringing them back to their house. So, so proverbially, the best of times and worst of yeah, times type yep. thing. So you got yeah. to see the best of humanity, and mm-hmm. then you got... So those people ever come up to you at a book signing, you could write something really special. I could. The good people, you could write something special. Yes. The other people, you just write... Never mind. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but you would not reveal what you would write, of no. course. Of course, you have a reputation, I follow. I do, I do. Did you ever think when you were little that this would be your life? No. So, And, and you and I both have kids, and, and yours are a little younger than mine, although mm-hmm. I do have an 11-year-old. Mm-hmm. How do they view what you do? My... So my son is, he's one, so he's too young. He doesn't view no, much of anything other no. than he's 
you know, I know. He, he exactly. wants it what he wants when he yeah, wants it now. Yep. Yeah, his strawberries and his Cheerios. Yes. Um, but my daughter, she's five. Yeah. And she knows that I write books. And she, a lot of the time she says, she says, Mommy, she says, everybody loves you. And I said, why? Why do you oh, wow. think everyone loves you? Wow. She said, because you write, because of your books. Everyone loves your books. And so she, so she knows what I do and she knows that, that people read my work and yeah. that they like it. Um, she also knows that I love reading and that I love books. Yeah. And, and I think some of the things that she says that she, does, she doesn't know how to read yet, but it seems like she's already committed to oh, she's there. loving reading yeah. once yeah. she learns she how to no read. She has no chance. No, she doesn't. It really, it's, it's like the children of musicians. They, they play <laughs> exactly. musical instruments. Yeah, she's yes. going to be not only a reader, but probably a writer too, I yeah. would imagine. I, so. which, and that's sort of scary to think about, but also, but also um, I don't know, that would be amazing, you know, if she were yeah. a writer. Oh, my kids would draw and I'd slap their hands with rulers. I said, stop it. I want a good nursing home. Yeah, leave it alone. Go become a lawyer. Exactly. (laughs) Just something productive. Yeah. So, like I said, you've got books to write at this point. You've got classes to teach. How rewarding is that to teach? You must really enjoy that. I do love teaching. Um, I love teaching because, because I feel like I have studied writing for so long and have heard, you know, I've, I've, I've taken multiple workshops, many workshops, mm-hmm. right? And so I've heard over and over again from various, you know, instructor, instructors and classmates, right? All the things that you can't, supposedly can't do, right. right? And I love teaching because my students, they haven't taken, you know, they haven't taken 20 workshops, right? And so no one has told them over and over again that they can't do something, right? And so they're always, I feel like, trying, like, new things yeah. and in, innovative things. And I feel like they keep me on my toes because they don't let me, right. you know, sort of become complacent about what fiction can do and what yeah. fiction is capable of. So I enjoy teaching. I well, do. thanks to you, I now know what fiction is capable <laughs> of because I love your books Thank and you. I love the stories you've, you, you've been telling. Thank and I can't you. wait to see what you write in the future too. I'm, I, yeah, you can't wait either. <laughs> I can't exactly. Like, hey, if you exactly. got any tips here, you know, <laughs> that's why I was joking earlier. Maybe maybe you ought to like take Angie Thompson's uh, Thomas's purse or yeah, something. Yeah. And, oh, she's got a script in there. <laughs> be like the movie Elf, you know. There we go. We got yeah, his notebook. Exactly. exactly. So that'd be great. Well, thank you so much for coming in today. Thank this you. has been an honor and a pleasure. Thank you. It really has. So, and this really has been a lot of fun too. <laughs> good. Good. I'm Marshall Ramsey. Thanks for listening today. Subscribe to this podcast to be updated on new episodes. Conversations is produced by Mississippi Public Broadcasting.